We are going to, uh, this is the penultimate sermon of the book of Acts. That means the next to last, and we will be at the ultimate next week. So today we're going to do verses 1 through 16, 1 through 16, uh, and then next week we'll finish, and then on Father's Day, we'll start the book of Judges, which is a great book to start on Father's Day, uh, the book of Judges. If you know about the book of Judges, you're like, man, that's kind of funny, the sovereignty of God. Um, so... Uh, <clears throat> It's just a time where it's really dark and despairing in the, in the time of Israel. And there's not really anybody living for, for God at all. So anyway, we are uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. So if you would, stand. And we're going to read verses 1 through 16 together. Uh, at the end, I'll, uh, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And you'll respond by saying, thanks be to God. And as you say, thanks be to God, let that also be uh, in your heart and mind and soul. Uh, a time where you also are saying yes to the Lord. The things you teach me, I want to obey them as well. So chapter 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island called Malta, that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man's a murderer. Though he has not escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him and healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petuli. There, we found brothers and we, invited, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Agrippus, I'm sorry, Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have a seat. Let's pray together. (coughs) Dear Lord, we ask that you would come now uh, and that you would teach us by the power of the Spirit uh, to understand your word, but more than that, as we understand your word, that you would grow our affections for Jesus, that as we see um, this story of Paul, that it would also help us understand uh, how much Christ has done for us and that our affections would grow for him. And Lord, uh, we would see how much it applies to the church, um, Remedy Church and every church, and that we would want to make those applications directly to this church body and live those things out in this church body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, last week, just as a review, Luke finished uh, the very suspenseful chapter of the shipwreck and what was going to happen and brought us all the way, as you can see there, the very end of chapter 27, last sentence. And so it was that we were brought safely to the land. And that land now is called 
Malta, we just read it. It's in verse one. Uh, geometry might be hard for some of y'all, uh, but geography, just kidding. Uh, uh, little joke. So in, they land in Malta. Now, as we see this, the, the, this land, this island called Malta, um, the, another name or the land Malta can mean, I should say, means refuge. So let's go ahead and put up the map to start with so we can understand what's happening. So they were going, they're here at Fair Havens. And Fair Havens is a place where Paul's like, hey, let's just stay in Fair Havens. If we stay in Fair Havens, we'll stay here for three months. We'll let, we'll let the winter from mid-November to February go by. And they're like, no, 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 we need to go to Phoenix. Phoenix is way better to winter. And Paul's like, no, let's stay in Fair Haven. And they're like, no, we're going to Phoenix. And Paul's just a prisoner. They have no reason to listen to him. And so they make their way to Phoenix. And then they get on the Gilligan's Island tour for 14 days in the worst storm ever. And they finally find some land. And they land right over here where they never, ever wanted to land in Malta. And so Malta also means refuge, which is not a coincidence, right? It's not a coincidence at all. So um, as I was studying this week, looking at chapter 28, verses 1 through 16, I'm jotting down some notes about what's happening with the people and what's happening with Paul and what's going on. And then it all kind of hits me at once that this island is called refuge. And there's, there's three things in this particular text that um, make this island, of ref, this island of Malta, a refuge. And therefore, in the same way, this church um, should want to be a refuge. A refuge means a shelter or a protection for people that are coming in. They may have been battered in the storm or they might already be here already and they need a refuge to come around them. And so in here, we're gonna see three ways that this uh, island Malta makes as a refuge. And the direct application for us at Remedy Church is that we at Remedy Church also want to be a refuge for people. Now, if you've been here at Remedy Church for any time whatsoever and somebody were to come up to you and ask you, hey, what's Remedy Church about? If you don't say community mission and care, you're fired. You're just fired. Like you should know that the three things about Remedy Church are community mission care. Now, I'm going to use different vernacular on the three things here, but those three things that I use are community mission and care. The three things that, that rise to the surface of what happens in the island of Malta and makes it a refuge are community mission and care. And we'll see it. We're actually going to go in the opposite way. We're going to go care, mission, community. Um, but nevertheless, that's what's here. So um, as we're going through this, um, realize, I think, the direct applications we can make from the island of Malta and the way the people interact with Paul and the way that Paul interact with people have a direct connection for the people you know that have been battered through life storms or even are in our church right now and are going through a storm or are going to go. That we, if, we, if we concentrate on making these three things um, important in our church, we will certainly make Remedy Church a refuge for those, for those people. So starting at verse one, we see this and we're brought safely um, through, when we're brought safely through, and just to highlight, uh, when, when words are repeated in the Bible, it's always on purpose. And so if you look at the very end of 27, it says that we were brought safely in the very beginning of 28. And it didn't have chapter and verse divisions until much later on, um, like 1500 years later or something like that. So brought safely twice. It's just Luke highlighting for us to make sure we understand that God's good, God's sovereign. He kept his promise. They're safe and you can trust God. And the only reason they were brought safely is because of God. So after we were brought safely through, we learned that this island was called Malta. Where, where are we? Where are we? What are we at? And they say it's, it's, it's Malta. And then it says the native people. Now in our nice little translation, it says native people in the Greek, it's barbaroi. So this translates barbarians. Now your wonder is Luke um, 
Is Luke saying these people are barbarians? Stott makes the case. It can't be. I mean, look at the unbelievable hospitality and care. They immediately show these barbarians that are saying, here's fire and you're welcome. And so it's not that I don't think that he's calling them barbarians like these people are just, you know, cavemen. I don't think that's it. I think it's more like Luke's kind of being vulnerable and saying, at first blush, my first impression, these people look like barbarians. And man, the egg was on my face because look what they did. Look what follows here. So I definitely think maybe you could at least say, if you don't believe that, which I think that's the case, but if you're like, that's not the case, it could just be that Luke's trying to signal to us that they're, not, they're uncultured. They're not like the rest of the cultured society in the first century. But nevertheless, um, they're not like him's the point. And as a matter of fact, we know that they're not believers. And so we're going to see some amazing kindness that is shown to Paul and the 276 people in this boat from these barbaroi, from these native people, from these uncultured people. So uh, if, let's go ahead and look. Uh, I'm going to put up number one. The first thing that we're going to see, making remedy a refuge, is hospitality. That's the care. That's care. Making remedy a refuge. The, the bond fine on the, on the fire. So they're brought safely. Um, and this is not Paul's first rodeo. He's, as Second Corinthians said, he's been in three shipwrecks. So this isn't his first one. Um, the native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had began to rain and it was cold. Now it's November going into February, so it's cold. And they've been on a 14 day uh, ship storm thing where, I mean, they're, they're, they're soaking wet for 14 days. So they have to be freezing. Now, in my 21st century pampered, selfish kind of sense, when I hear unusual kindness, I'm thinking, well, what is it? I mean, what's it gonna be? A fire and a hello? Oh, that doesn't seem like an unusual kindness, but that's just because of me. That's not because of Luke and God who wrote this. Um, he's showing me just how, you know, pampered I live in the 21st century. Unusual kindness here is, uh, here's a fire since you're cold that you can come warm yourself. And hello and welcome to this particular island, which for us then means uh, this. And I love this because it's unbelievers that are doing this, which means... Uh, since everybody's made in the image of God and has uh, the ability to show common grace to people, they can, unbelievers can be just as hospitable sometimes. They should not outshine us. They should not. But unbelievers can be very hospitable. And here we see that. They welcome them. They give them a fire. And they say, come and, and, and uh, be warm by this. And, and we, we're glad that you're here. So if we're just going to take a first quick application for this when we're thinking about our own church, then we can say, whenever we meet someone that's brand new to our church, um, it's easy for us. If the unbelievers can do it, surely we can to know their immediate need. Their immediate need is I'm cold and I need a fire. We can get to know their immediate need and try to meet it and say, welcome. We want to get to know you. What's your name? Where are you from? What's your life story? What's going on? And that's an easy illustration for us to be able to see here. They were kind to them. They, uh, Kindled a fire for them, a fire for them, and they welcome. Now, when we get into verse three, Paul, leader, says, "Oh, you're getting a fire. Well, let me be the servant leader. Let's go collect some wood." And Paul goes and collects wood immediately. You can see in verse three when Paul had gathered gathered a bundle of sticks. So he's immediately wanting to continue to be as he was in chapter 27, and here on verse in chapter 28, a servant leader wanting to uh, to help the the fire stay stay up. Now. Here's where Paul earns just an unbelievable man card. I mean, this is just ridiculous, right? I don't know what y'all, I'm going to read it again just so it all settles in. But I know what I would have (laughs) done if this would have happened to me. It would not have been this. There would have been, 
Oh, the screams there would have been. And the freaking out and shaking and jumping. Look at this. I mean, watch this. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper, it's just a snake, came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. It didn't bite him. It literally hung on him. And it's just hanging there in front of everybody. And the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said, oh, no doubt this man's a murderer. Now, they, we're going to get to that. They're superstitious views and why it's wrong. Um, he's escaped, he escaped from the sea. The sea didn't kill him. But justice, that's their kind of their deity, capital J. Their ju- this justice that lives is not going to allow him to live now. And this is what, he, however, shook, shook the creature off into the fire. He's like, oh, just shake it off there in the fire. Shake it off in the fire. And... Uh, Suffered no harm. Now, my reaction would not have been if it's fastened on me. Oh, snake, let me just, let me just say, I would have screamed and run around like a little child. Ah! Just freaking out, right? But this guy, this unbelievable, I mean, man card delivered. He just stands there and shakes it off into the fire. And then, funny enough, uh, I think he just wants to see their reactions, right? And it says, and they were waiting. Like they were waiting for him to swell up. There's, all right, what's going to happen? He's just sitting there. And Paul's just kind of like, nothing's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Because God's already told me I'm going to Rome. And I'm not in Rome. So the snake ain't going to do nothing to me. So anyway, and so they were waiting for him to swell up or just suddenly fall down dead. And you got to figure, this is almost like the awkwardness of Ehud and his cool roof chamber in Judges 3. We'll get to that one day. Uh, when they were waiting for him to swell up. They were waiting and they were waiting and they were waiting and nothing ever happened. And like, man, he's not going to fall down dead. Well, all right, we're going to change our mind then. We're waiting for a long time. He's not a murderer. He's God. That's the only logical explanation. He's not a murderer. He's got to be God. And so um, now the wrong view that they have here is a superstitious view that if something bad happens to you, then you must be a murderer. A snake bites you. You must be a murderer. You must be terrible. The wrong view of that is, well, then every one of us would be bit by snakes, right? Every day because we're all sinners. And so uh, bad things don't happen to us Uh, to only bad people because everybody's bad. Uh, And so Jesus, the same kind of almost type scenario uh, like this happens. And Jesus answers for us in John 9, what's going on. So he and the disciples are walking by and they pass by a man that's blind from birth. So something bad happened to him. He's blind. And the disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents uh, or his parents that he would be born blind? And he said, it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So bad things happen to Christians, not because you're bad, um, but instead because God wants to have his works of might be shown through you so that when it happens, the world's looking on and you so cling to Christ and you, you say, Christ is my only portion. He's my only hope to make it through this, that when the world sees that God is displaying his mighty works through you. And I think that's the case here. Any level of suffering is meant to point us to Jesus. Now, Paul and the snake also has something quite interesting, and I think that it points to the gospel for us. Um, Again, I want us to always understand that all the stories in the Bible are ultimately about Christ. And so in the Old Testament, it's easier. Whenever you see these Old Testament figures, they're kind of a a prefigure of Christ in some way, and they amplify. They're just the shadow of the reality. But even after the cross, as we've been going through the book of Acts, I think that Luke is still doing that, using Paul as the shadow and and Jesus as the reality. So this is quite amazing. Um, Paul, he's bitten by a snake, and he's thought of as a murderer, but he lives, and then he's thought of as a god, and he shakes the snake and to the fire. That's the shadow. The reality is that Jesus, Genesis 3, was bitten by the snake. He'll bruise his heel. 
And on the cross, he takes the place of murderers and therefore becomes one for us. And then after being raised from the dead, it's finally understood by those who put their faith in him that he really is God. And he ultimately will throw the snake, the the serpent, the devil into the lake of fire, Revelation 20.10, and have ultimate victory one day. That's the gospel. That's the reality that Christ Jesus is the serpent stomper who destroys Satan's sin and death for us who are the murderers. And yet he is truly God. And therefore, if we put our faith and our trust in him, all of your sin is, there, is therefore defeated. Even the serpent, the, the, the enemy of us all will be ultimately defeated by Jesus. And if we put our trust in him, then we receive his righteousness. Then therefore, all of our sinful murder, our murderous heart is then forgiven by him. And then we will be forgiven forever. I mean, this is the amazing good news that Christ has reconciled us through the cross to himself. Um, now, that's, the, that's where I see uh, the beautiful gospel here as we go through the, uh, chapter 28. Now, <clears throat> as we reach the end of this first section, one through six, um, this wrong view, the superstitious view that the natives had that Paul, therefore, must be a god, must be, I think we can safely say that it was absolutely corrected by Paul. In verse 11, we see that they spent three months there. So they spent the winter there. They got there in November and they left in mid-November. They left in mid-February. So Paul was there for at least three months. And there's, there's no doubt in my mind, and we're even going to see some of his ministry in 7 through 10, that when they were saying all these things that you must be a God because of all this, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not a God. I'm not a God at all. But I have met him before on the road to Damascus and he has forgiven me my sin and he can forgive you of your sin. And I don't have any question in my mind that over these three months here, Paul pointed them to Jesus. So as we finish this first section, it's largely about the hospitality from the unbelievers of of Malta to Paul and all his companions, which means uh, we can do the same thing. We can be, as we we know, uh, community mission care, the care part. We can get to know people in such a way that when we know their immediate needs, We want to meet them and ultimately make them feel welcome into this church and let this church be a refuge for them. Let this church be uh, an amazing refuge for those that are hurting already and for those that the Lord will bring to us that we can care for. Everyone that the Lord brings to us is a precious gift that we can care for, get to know, welcome, meet their needs. And ultimately, as Paul will do with these people, point them to Christ. So that's the first way we can make this church a refuge. Care, or as I put, hospitality, the bonfire on the beach. The second one is ministry. Now, this might not be as intuitive as you think because you think, okay, if I'm coming somewhere where I've been kind of beat up by life and I have some, the shipwrecks of my life have happened and I need to come to a refuge, what I need is rest. And it seems like making me do ministry is, <laughs> is the opposite of rest. That's work. And so how is, how is ministry a refuge? Um, stick with me and I'm going to show you how it is and how community mission fits into our mission. Here we are. Verse 7 <clears throat> Now the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, Publius, who received us and entertained us. So word got out that, that they immediately, these people on the coast at the beach heard about uh, or saw what happened with Paul. And they spoke 
about to the, to the neighborhoods what happened. We saw this dude, he got bit by a snake, and he's totally fine. You should, you should come see this guy. He's crazy. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. And so they immediately talked about the people they met, which is, I mean, just an easy application. When you meet somebody, talk about that person with other people, not like behind the back. You should see this. And I mean, like, hey, come meet my friends too. You should meet this person. They're awesome. They're from Michigan, or they're from Hawaii, or they're from, you know, Dillon, you know, whatever. They're from in South Carolina. Like, they're, they're cool. You should get to know them. Um, we can... We can learn from even these people that when you meet new people, we should speak of them to other people we know so they can meet them and, sh- and, and help them be a part of the refuge that's here. And you have this man, Publius. Uh, he takes them in, and we're going to see even more hospitality now. This is, this is kind of next-level hospitality. The fire and the welcome is one thing. Publius is going to take it to a whole other level and is going to give them even more uh, hospitality. Mind you again, from an unbeliever. So we should never let the world outshine us and hospitality. They can do it because of common grace, but we're the church and we have the Holy Spirit and we have the best news ever in Jesus. And so while they do it, we should also, uh, we should be great at showing hospitality. Here's the next level. One, receives them in and house them for three days. Now, I don't know if this was all 276 people on the boat. That's, on, that's in verse 37. I don't know that it was all 276 people. That's a massive house if it was all 276 in the house. Uh, probably not, but at least Paul and his companions and his friends are being, are being invited to be a part of this. And it says that they're housing them for three days. They're entertaining them for three days, which is de- definitely needed after you've been on a boat for 14 days and scared you're going to die. Everybody just starts off, we're all going to die now. We know it. That's in verse 20. Um, having some entertainment can help, help, certainly help take their minds off the current situation. And so uh, they, they have this next level of kindness. Tony Morita says, uh, whenever this happens to Paul, mind you, these are unbelievers. Tony Morita says, Paul was in a Pharisee at this moment and, dis- and he didn't distance himself from the islanders that didn't share his beliefs. Instead, he acted like Jesus and he became a friend of sinners. He became a friend of sinners. I love that. And he continues to say, scriptures mentions now uh, in chapters 27 and 28 of both Julius and Publius, whose combined names sound like the name of a great hip-hop group, um, illustrate how God's common grace, even in unredeemed humans, can display lovely virtues. So the unbelieving, because of common grace, and they have the image of God in them, can, can have Next level kindness, next level hospitality, which means that we as the church can do that as well. And we should, we should outshine the unbelievers, not just to like, look at me, I outshine you, ha ha. But instead, like, we should never let unbelievers be more hospitable or more Christ-like than us. Now, Paul is going to reciprocate the kindness, and he's going to do it definitely in a whole other level um, than what they do. Because in verse Eight, it happened that the father Publius, whatever, it's Publius or Publius. I'm going to go back and forth on accident both, both all the time. Uh, the father lay sick with fever and dysentery. This was common to the island of Malta. They had goats. We know this now. I read it in the commentary. They had goats that, that transmitted uh, some kind of virus through the milk. And when most of them, some of them weren't immune. And whenever they drank it, they would get uh, feverish feeling for at least four months up to two years because of this virus that was in them. They, they know that now because they've studied it, but that's what's likely happening to his father. And so Paul's like, yeah, I got some antibiotics right over here. No, he doesn't do that, right? He's like, come here. And it says, and Paul um, visited him, prayed with him, put his hands on him and healed him. That's pretty awesome, right? So Paul immediately <clears throat> takes it to another level reciprocating the Christ-likeness and heals this man's father for him. Now, uh, Paul's 
hospitality, love, care, whatever you want to call it, compassion for the Maltons is different. I'm not saying it's necessarily better. Although if I could lay my hands on people and heal people, I would do it right now to my throat. Boom. I'd like be able to, but like we would all love to be able to do that, right? I'm not saying it's better than them because they certainly showed some amazing kindness. It's different though. It's different because of the obvious reason. If someone comes to the Maltons and say, why are you showing this unbelievable hospitality to these people? They can answer with a lot of good reasons, but mainly it'll be because it's nice, but it doesn't change their eternity. But when they come to Paul and they say, why are you doing this? He can say, because Christ has saved me and he's healed me spiritually. I can heal you physically. And it's only a sign of what can actually change your eternity. So it's different because Paul can actually point to people's eternity to be changed. And we have that ability as well. When we go and meet people's needs, we can do it differently than the unbelievers because we can change people's eternities, God does, by using us whenever we tell them about Jesus. Now, word gets out as it does. And when this had taken place, here it is, the rest of the people on the island. Now, I don't know if that's really the rest of the people on the island. I like to think that it's really the rest of the people on the island. Like everybody heard about this and everybody's like, well, we got some diseases and everybody um, comes to Paul. And I don't know how long this takes. It could be the three days or it could be for the three months he's there. But nevertheless, Paul, and here we're getting into where you can see uh, in his refuge is finding ministry. He's not just resting. He's finding ministry. He's He's been cared for, but he's also in his refuge going to care for other people. He's going to do ministry. And when it's taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and they were cured. So Paul was used by God to bless these people. And these people were used by God to bless Paul. And it was a mutual uh, relationship that they had. And I, I mean, I truly believe that after three months of Paul being there, there's converts that are happening as well. Luke doesn't record it for us, so we don't know that for sure. But in my head and in my heart, I really think that that's what's going on. Now, back to their kindness. Um, we've already seen him entertain them, house them for three days, etc. Now we're going to see even more. In, in verse uh, 10, they're going to show these unbelievers are going to do even more uh, kindness and care and hospitality. Number one, they honored us greatly. Number two, uh, they actually put them on board. But this, when it says they put them on board, this is a boat that they gave them. If you look at verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island. We know that their ship was all beat up. Their ship's gone. So where'd this ship come from? The Maltons had it. So the Maltons had a ship and they're like, here's a ship. Now, if you've ever been given a boat, I've actually been given a boat. It's pretty cool to be given a boat. Like you're like, wow, that's pretty kind. You gave me a boat. That's pretty awesome. This boat held 276 people. Mine didn't do that. But um, nevertheless, I didn't want a boat that holds 276 people because I'm an introvert and that would just be absolutely dreadful. And I don't have anywhere to park it. Anyway, I'm sick. I'm sorry. So anyway, Paul, they gave him a boat. And then to, to sum it all up at the end of verse 10, they, they honored them greatly. They gave him a boat. And then as they're getting on, Paul and these people said, you know what? I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. And here's what happened. The end of verse 10, they put on board whatever we needed. So here we're seeing even further extraordinary kindness being given to Paul and his companions, which is made up of sailors, Roman soldiers, and prisoners. These Maltons, I mean, unbelievers. Now, by this time, I think they're believers. And so they're just showing extraordinary kindness. Here's a boat. You want a boat? Here's a boat. Paul's a prisoner. You take him to Rome. We'll give you a boat to get Paul to Rome. That's fine. Paul's accepted the Lord's will already because he wants to get there. Now, Let me make my case as I'm finishing up verses 7 through 10 on why 
a refuge doesn't just involve uh, hospitality and rest, but ministry. Um, This is the kindness of God in the midst of quite difficult times for Paul to give him ministry, not rest. He's been in prison for two years and all he wanted to do was get out and go back on his circuits on the mission, on the mission field, but he didn't get to. And so here he's in a, he's in a, uh, a prison for two years. He's on a terrible boat ride and he's going to be a prisoner again when he gets to Rome. And here he has this one little place here where he's in the island of Malta. And this place in Malta does not resemble anything else other than his mission trips. This is Paul's stomping grounds, if you will. This is where he, I think, feels the most comfortable. This is where Paul thrives. And it's God's grace in the midst of all that time where he's a prisoner and going to, to seek him back in an unreached people group and say, hey, you got three months to get back on your original love, preaching the gospel to the unreached. Boom, here's three months. And he's got, I mean, they can't go anywhere. And so Paul is given this grace by God of more ministry. Yes, you had two years in prison. Yes, you had the terrible ship ride. And you're going to go to the prison in Rome. But in this little meantime, here, Paul, here's a gift from you. which I know this is your heart's desire you've always wanted to do. Here's one last time where you're not going to be a prisoner, per se, but a missionary. This three-month time in Malta, a gift from God to do real, on-the-ground ministry again, Paul. Here you go. Uh, one commentator, Thomas, says, this three-month in Malta were a welcome hiatus for Paul, what was otherwise a time of enormous frustration. So I think this is seemingly an amazing uh, mission trip for Paul. Now, I, don't, I say mission trip in air quotes because I don't know if you can call it a mission trip if you accidentally go there and end up doing ministry. Uh, but maybe it is, right? Maybe it is. But nevertheless, Paul is given this gift by God to do ministry, which is what he's always wanted to do, preach the gospel to the, to the unbeliever, not be in prisons, but free like he was on those first three missionary journeys. And God knows that. And in this moment of refuge for three months, he says, here, Paul, while you're doing, uh, while you're here as a refuge in Malta, here's ministry. And let's just, let me ask this question. And this is especially for you who are in the midst of maybe a time of being beat up or trial or tribulation or suffering. Perhaps in the midst of long, difficult times in your life, and you might be in the middle of it right now, or it's coming. God is demonstrating kindness to you, not just by giving you rest, but also giving you ministry opportunities where you can share and care for others. Even though you need that, you need to be shared for and cared for. He's also giving you ministry opportunities in the midst of that too. In the midst of refuge, just like he is Paul. And you just need to be aware of it. And you need to be looking for it. It doesn't just need to be, I'm only resting. It needs to be, yeah, I'm, 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 beating, I'm getting pretty beat up right now. But still, God's showing kindness to me and giving me ministry opportunities just like he does for Paul. And so let's make this church a refuge for people who need to be hospitable. But while they're here, let's community or care mission. Let's help them realize the mission that God's called them to. We, we don't take uh, half times on the Great Commission. Now, I'm at a half time right now. Uh, or the game's over. We're always in the game. Until Jesus comes back. We're in, we're in there. Whatever sport you like, we're in there. Um, and so I think that means that even when we need refuge, God's being kind to us and giving us ministry opportunities. So that's care and that's mission. You know what's coming next if you've been here at Remedy or else you're fired. Community. I'm kidding. You're not fired. We love you. All right, verse 11. What I want you to see here is this. And just remember Paul here, right? He has said goodbye 
to so many friends, and he knows he's never going to go back over to Jerusalem again. He's never going to go back over to Caesarea. He's never going to go to Ephesus. He's never going to go to Philippi. He's never going to go to Corinth. He's never going to go to all these cities whom he loves. He's seen them, and it's, as we've read through Acts, he knows that there's, there's, there's tears among him and them. And it says, Paul knows in these moments he's never going to see them again. He loses Christian friendship. He doesn't have FaceTime. He's never going to see these people again. And notice the kindness of God to continually give him new Christian companions, new Christian fellowship, new Christian friends. That's what's going on in this next section. After three months, he's already had it here. I think he's already made Christians, and so he has new Christian friends from Malta. And here it is in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island of Ship of Alexandria with the twin gods. If you're wondering who the twin gods are, that's Castor and Pollux. Not just a face-off reference from the 90s with John Travolta and Oh, that guy, oh, I don't know his name. Um, but all, these were also considered Castor and Pollux, which would be the uh, Nicholas Cage. Um, my Nicholas Cage impression is, oh, so uh, I don't know why. So um, Castor and Pollux are considered to be the sons of Zeus. They're considered to be the sons of Zeus. And Castor and Pollux were the gods of navigation. They're the, they're the, uh, the gods of, of the seafarers who need, who need protection. And so, I mean, this is a bit ridiculous, right? Because the whole time Luke's trying to help us see that's dumb. Like, that's dumb. That's not what's the case. I'm not allowed to say dumb at my house. Sorry, Kyla. Um, that's not right. But instead, um, the Lord God Almighty is the protector of the seas. The Lord God Almighty is who brought them through chapter 27. And these silly little twin gods aren't going to do anything because they're not even real. The Lord God Almighty will bring them safely to Rome. Um, but uh, anyway, back to the text. They had him as a figurehead. And then Luke's going to in 12 through 14 just kind of give us the, the little circuit. This is how they made it. Um, 14's where we get to the, to, the, to the bread and butter. Putting it at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up. On the second day, we came to Petuli. And there, here it is. There we found brothers. This, this brother's Adelphoi. This means uh, believers. We found Christians. We found people that are believers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Jesus. Now, this is, this is another grace of God. He didn't have to provide Christian companion, new Christian companions on the way, and yet he does. And, and watch this. Uh, what do they do? They invite him in, right? Immediately. Oh, you want to stay with us for seven days? Come on. Now, um, if you're like me, about two days, maybe three is the longest I can handle company. Like, eventually, it's like companies like fish. After three days, it smells, and they need to get out of here. Um, that's just because I'm, I'm not very uh, nice sometimes. I'd want to be, Lord help me. But like seven days, we've never even met you. And come on in and stay with us for seven days. That's, I think this is extraordinary kindness that God is showing uh, Paul here by having companions. Now, have you ever had this experience? Um, whenever you meet someone who's a Christian, and after 10 minutes of kind of talking about Jesus and Christ and what the Lord's done, you know them kind of more intimately than some people you've known for 10 years that aren't believers. I think that's the kind of stuff that Paul's experiencing here. And so here it says uh, in verse 14, there we found brothers and we were invited to stay with them for seven whole days. We were invited to stay with them for seven whole days. Now, the reason why they stay there for seven days is because there will be no more, uh, there will be no more traveling by water. The water time is over. Every, every way to get to Rome now is all going to be by foot. And it's a five-day walk. And so Julius, uh, the one who's in charge, is likely like, let's take a week break. Everybody get themselves strong. And then we're going to take the five-day trek from here up to Rome. And so they take famous roads. Now, 
Uh, the, two famous, the two famous roads, because Roman were known for their roads, the two famous roads they're going to take, I'm not kidding you, companion way. Go ahead and put up number three, companionship. I, I, I mean this. I put companionship as my third thing, and then I found out that later on, companion way was one of the roads they took, and I'm like, okay, God. You told me, like, that's the perfect name for, for number three. I won't use community. I'll use companionship because it's called Companion Way. Anyway, Companion Way and Appian Way are the two Roman roads that, that they're going to take Paul up in here. And Paul's already given him his Roman road. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> Romans, because he wrote to Romans in 323. Anyway, if you have to explain, it's not funny. Um, so in verse 14 here, they stay with them for seven days. And then Paul's going to eventually take these particular roads and walk up there instead of boat. And then... Uh, it, it, it's, it's almost kind of anticlimactic, so I'm going to try to make it as, as climactic as I think Luke wants to make it. And so let, I think it should read this way. And there we found uh, brothers, and we invited them to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Like, I think that's how it's supposed to be, because verse 14b of chapter 28 is literally like the pinnacle of the entire book of Acts. If you remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I mean, this is what the entire book has been building to over and over and over. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if I can actually finally get there, said this, Jesus says to them, and you will receive power and the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's chapters 1 through 7, and in Judea and Samaria, that's chapters 8 through 13, and to the ends of the earth, that starts in 14, and Paul's finally uh, been promised he's going to get to Rome. And finally, he, he's there, finally in Rome. And here we are. Paul reaches Rome. Seven years ago, in Acts chapter 19, 21, Paul, seven years to eight years ago, says, God, I want to go to Rome. In Acts chapter 19, 21. In Acts 23, 11, some four or five years later, Jesus comes to him and says, you're going to go to Rome. So seven years of asking, two years of waiting on the promise from Jesus. And finally, he's walking in. He's like, here I am to Rome. He had to just been overcome with the emotion of like, God keeps his promises. This is unbelievable. This is amazing how good God is. He must have just been absolutely thrilled at this point. One commentator says, this can be considered the pinnacle of the book of Acts. We can read of Paul's arrival, arrival reflecting on Jesus's plan that witnesses would finally go to the ends of the earth. So the pinnacle of the book of Acts is right here in 14. Now, if you were reading with me when we read it out in the beginning, you're like, what's this kind of double entrance? Um, 14 uh, says, and so we came to Rome. And 16 says, and when we came into Rome, you're like, was well, it 14 the entrance or the 16 the entrance? I think 14's the entrance and 16 is kind of like the entrance into the entrance of the, the middle part. Here, here's the best way I could illustrate it is, have you ever been to Myrtle Beach? Doesn't it feel like you've arrived to Myrtle Beach like 15 or 20 times before you finally, you're driving, you're off the interstate 20 and you're going down highway, whatever it is. And you're going, and you're like, oh, we're here. Oh, we're not here because everything, okay, we're not here. And you're like, oh, no, we're still not here. If you know what I'm saying, like if you've been down that road, you know what I'm saying. I feel like I've been in Myrtle Beach like 15 or 20 times. And you're like, well, I guess I'm not here. Oh, I am here now. This is finally it. Well, it's looked like the past 50 miles, but here I finally am. I think it's kind of like that here because Rome was this massive city that kind of had these massive, 
passive little outskirts. And so they're walking from nothing into, it says in verse 14, and so we came into Rome. This is like coming into the big administration district and they're going and they're seeing people and, others, and finally they get to verse 16. We're like, okay, now we're in, the, we're in the middle part here. We're in the actual city central of what would be Rome. And it says, when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay. So I think that's what's going on. But here's what's happening. This is where it gets pretty awesome. I love this part. It says, and when we were finally we get to Rome and all of a sudden, and the brothers were there. So more Christian companions, more lavish kindness of God. You had some on the way. Here's more Christian companions. Now, the, the book of Romans that Paul wrote, his magnum opus of systematic theology had been in Rome for three years. So they had read it and they like, who is this guy that writes with such amazing clarity on the things of God from from all the way to the beginning to what, what's going to happen, who is this guy? We, we wanna, it's like the master teacher comes to Remedy Church. And like, finally, we got somebody that can like teach us really good. Like, got the word. Like, something, look, look at this. We want to know who he is. Like, the master teacher, uh, whoever your favorite guy is. He comes here and you're like, woo, he's here. I think that's kind of what's going on here. There's, there's some fans. Maybe there's a way to say it. The brothers were there. They heard about us. They came, look at this, as far as the forum of Apius and three taverns. And you're like, okay, great. How far is that? 40 miles, 40 miles. They, they didn't have cars. They walked for 40 miles because they heard Paul's coming. They, and so I can just, I can picture them roaming up with their little copies of Romans. Hey, it's like a book signing. Will you sign mine? Right. FUD, P-H, not F, P-H-U-D. Yes. To the uh, coolest guy I've ever met. Yeah, that's me. You're glad that you met me. I'm glad you're glad you got to meet me. To, from Paul, thank you, thank you. You're like, woo I met Paul, I got my time. Like, I, I think they have their own little copies, right? And they're, they're running up and it says, the brothers came and they heard about us. They came as far as Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And so they're, they're super, super excited. And this had to have just been just an unbelievable emotional experience for Paul for a couple of reasons. One, Paul wanted so badly to finally get to Rome. And finally, the desire of his heart is given to him. And he gets to Rome. And then secondly, for those Christian brothers who had read Paul's magnum opus, who had read, if you've read the book of Romans, I mean, like, this is my favorite book of the Bible. This is unbelievable. Or next to some others, right? But it's great. But they're all still written by Paul. Uh, it must have been, they must have been absolutely overjoyed to be able to meet Paul, who wrote this unbelievable masterpiece. And to have God grant a writer of scripture, unbeknownst to them, but known to us, to come and teach us for who knows how long. So it just must have been an unbelievable, uh, an unbelievable time for Paul. And everybody was just, I think, quite emotional as he's walking in. Now, on seeing them, verse 15, Paul thanked God and took courage. I want to key in on this because this is huge. This is building my case of what I'm saying about companionship. Because you would think it would say, on seeing Rome, he thanked God and took courage. It's not that. It's the people. On seeing them. On seeing them. He takes God. So he, he ta- thanks God. So he thanks God and he takes courage. He thanks God that he has been able to reach Rome, but also meet these more companions that he's been able. He never dreamed or planned that he'd finally get there. And here he is with these people. And can you thank God? If does, when you get places finally, it's not going to happen the way you want. And it, this isn't how Paul thought. Can you, can you thank God? But also he takes courage. Now, this is the exact same words. 2311, when Paul, he says, you're going to go to Rome, take courage. And then on the boat where Paul says, take courage. And in this moment where Paul is finally arriving to Rome, he takes courage himself. 
He feels the encouragement of the Lord because on seeing them, on seeing them. So the main point I think that we need to see here is that um, Paul thanks God and takes courage because he's in Rome, no doubt. But also because of the amazing Christian companionship, Christian friendship, Christian fellowship that God keeps providing to him. That God just keeps providing to him. Community. A refuge. Gifts of God where he will continually give you new Christian friends. Which means you have to be open to new Christian friends. You're never like, I got my 12. I'm good. No, no. Always new. Those 12 leave. That's how it is. I've been here pastor long enough. They leave. You don't want them to. You're like, stop going to wherever. But God calls them. He's not going to stop doing it, right? It's not going to stop happening. So continually inviting all that God brings us to be our companions. And so let's, as our application, think it this way. Let's be so serious about companionship, Christian companionship, Christian friendship, that here at Remedy Church, people will literally have to stop and physically say out loud, thank you, God, like Paul. And they have, uh, they take courage because of the friendships, the deep Christian friendships that God has provided him them here at this refuge at Remedy Church. And then it says in verse 16, when he came, into Paul, he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. So this means Paul has his own little kind of lodging himself. He's, he's a prisoner, but he has his own little place for a little while. We know that he'll eventually be killed for his faith. But he has this little, uh, he has his own little place where he's allowed to do some ministry and while he's doing this, he has a guard, a Roman guard, essentially like handcuffed to him. Uh, the commentator said that likely it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a rolling kind of shift. Like next guy was like, hey, oh, it's your shift. Hey, guess what? Do you know Jesus? <laughs> because you're going to. Uh, and the next guy, hey. And by the way, we know that's what he did because it says in Philippians 1.13 that the whole imperial guard knows that his imprisonment's for Christ. So every time a new guy's brought in, glad you're here. God divinely appointed this. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. And then eventually, as it says in Philippians 1.13, the whole imperial guard knows that his imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul has his companions that were on the boat with him, but God shows this amazing favor, companions on the rest of that last leg, and even more companions in Rome. And that's going to be the case for us. God's going to continually here at Remedy let us be a refuge where we can bring in people and they can have new Christian friends and we would be seeking Christian friends. So let's have community mission and care happening here at our church, companionship, ministry, and hospitality. Now, I want to conclude by this, um, saying the Bible, as, it, as we've just read, uh, doesn't help us see quite the end. But we have a letter, Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, that gives us a little bit of insight into the fact that first century people are just like 21st century people. So there's a little cautionary tale in my conclusion. A little cautionary tale. First century people are just like us, where the shiny things that are new lose their attraction and become commonplace. And after they become commonplace, they become forgotten. So that's likely what happens with Paul. He's brand new, like everybody's rushing out, signing my copy. Woohoo! Paul's here. And one commentator says that this walking in is like Paul's triumphal entry into Rome, like Jesus's uh, whenever on Palm Sunday. So in a lot of ways, this is like, Paul's here. Woo! But in 2 Timothy, his last letter he wrote, chapter 1, verse 17, Paul writes to Timothy and says, there's a man named Onesiphorus. 
that comes to find me. Now, when Paul's in jail, he's moved around here and there. He doesn't just stay in this one house. He's moved around to this house, moved around to this house, moved around. He's moved around a little bit and like, oh yeah, Paul's over there. And like, no, he's not there anymore. He went there. Oh, because it's been a little while since I went and saw him. So maybe he's, maybe some, I don't know. Like he was my friend. I've been hanging out, but it's been a little while. And what had happened was brand new things have become commonplace which have become forgotten. As it says in 2 Timothy 1.17, Anisarus, the language is, he had to search earnestly in Rome to find Paul. Now, that's not what we would think. Oh, we know where Paul is. The talk of the town. You mean the guy that wrote Romans? He's right here. This is Paul's house. By the time Onesiphorus gets there, it says he has to search earnestly for Paul. Because he had been moved around, Paul had become commonplace to people. And soon as being commonplace, he had been forgotten. James Boyce says that the Christians in Rome seem to have forgotten about Paul, as most people do. So the cautionary tale for us is this. Don't let this happen to us. Let's not let this happen to us. New people that come into our church that we can care for can never become commonplace and then forgotten. The Lord has put them in our path for a reason that we don't just Oh, new person, good to see you. What's going on? And then all of a sudden you're common and all of a sudden you're forgotten and I moved on to the next. God has made a body so that everybody operates so that when each part works, it, it functions properly. So every person is essential. No one's common. No one's forgotten. Everyone's essential. So let's not let what happened to Paul happen to anyone here. Let's be a refuge for people where they have community, mission, and care. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your church that you've created, this one and all, where we get to take on these things and be these things to people. And we know that you bring people to us, and Lord, sometimes we do it great and sometimes we don't. And we know that there's grace when we don't, but God, we want to. Put it in our hearts to want to. Care for people. Be there for people. Like the Maltons. What extraordinary hospitality they showed. And we should shine our light, hospitality light even brighter as Christ followers. And in the midst of suffering, Let us always remember you're still calling us to mission. And God, new people will come always. And God, let us be the kind of people that don't ever have cliques, closed groups. We're good. We have our friends. But instead, every new person is a person brought by God and never becomes common or forgotten, but is always loved by Jesus and therefore should be loved by us, whom we love and care for. Forgive us when we fall short. We know we will. Give us grace when we fall short because we need it. God, fill us with the Spirit and cause us to have these things happen in this church. Let us be a refuge here in Rock Hill. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper.